0: part of the conversation between your host Akshay Dat and Nikhil Agarwal. In the first part, Nikhil talked about his journey into entrepreneurship and building up Chalo. In this part, he talks about the journey after exiting from Chalo. Nikhil's second venture is Grip Invest, and it is making structured debt available to end consumers directly, removing the middlemen from the process like banks and NBFCs. Grip Invest allows consumers to directly lend to corporates and thereby earn a much higher rate of interest as compared to saving via fixed deposits and other such instruments. Listen on. And if you like such insightful conversations with disruptive startup founders, then do subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming
1: app. Then what made you want to move on? What was the trigger for that?
0: My co-founder and I saw some things differently, Try to make sure or try to make the effort to be on the same page, but at some point of time, having the same thought is very critical in early stage companies. That we, despite our efforts, we could not get there, and hence it made sense to to part ways. Obviously, I was the person having a different point of view, and hence I stepped out the role. Coming out of a very intensive four years, especially as an entrepreneur, I think it's not easy to say what you will immediately jump into them multiple thoughts going on in your head whether it makes sense to go back to a job should you think of something like a VC role and should you just take some time or start again I think debated a lot of those options what was fortunate was that almost as soon as I left Chalo I got an opportunity to join the World Bank I sent a exit email saying thank you for The association, and I heard back from them to offer me an opportunity to work as a consultant with them. So that became a very easy transition to say, okay, great, I have something constructive and productive, some in a sector that I enjoy doing, with an organization like World Bank. And within a week, I actually joined the World Bank. In in Chello, you were interfacing
1: with World Bank for some of their initiatives, isn't it?
0: That's right. Chello was building public transportation. And World Bank, obviously, for public transportation is a very critical component. So we used to meet at industry conferences. There used to be common dialogue and I built a relationship with the team there. And they thought that I could add some value to the work that we're doing. So it was a very easy, very fortunate transition into a great organization. It got me to see the same problem of transportation in a very different perspective, in a very different lens. World Bank doesn't think about the next few months or the next few years. It thinks about the next decade. And at the same time, I also started feeling that my entrepreneurial journey was not complete. Like when you start a journey, you expect to get somewhere. You expect to do something with it. I think for me, a lot of those things had not happened. I hadn't seen that journey through. And hence, somewhere there was always a gap that I wanted to fill. So over a period of time, it became very obvious that I wanted to go back and take another shot at it, at fulfilling that, that experience for myself.
1: So what did you decide that next shot was going to be?
0: The funny thing is that there had been an idea which was in my head since 2014. So long before Chalo ever happened. And this was really around making more investment options available For investors like myself, if you think about if you put yourself in the position of someone who's around 30 years old in India, earning a good salary, been working for five, seven years, I think there is a immediate realization that the number of options to invest money are limited right you're making a decent money by nature you are likely to be saving a fairly good amount of it right they're all brought up in that way or at least my generation is brought up in that way but the options to invest are really limited to fixed deposits bank deposits stock markets and that's it at the same time you are hearing stories around you of people making a lot more money Looking at diversified investment options, a majority of us are also connected globally, have been to school globally or travel globally and, and hear about other investment options. And you constantly wonder, why is it not available to me? You hear about family offices and you hear about ultra HIs deploying money in structured products. And you question, what is it that I did wrong? And why can't my money make the same kind of money? And that was the idea that had been in my head, I continue to see that problem exist for my friends, for my family members. And we started GRIP with the objective of answering this question, which is how do we create more investment options for the common middle class salaried professional that allows their money to work hard? I said this to someone recently, Indians are predominantly making money by salary creation, by salaries. You work harder, you get more salary, you save it. And that's how you make your savings or your nest. But the fundamental premise of wealth generation is that your money should make money for you. You cannot keep working or for a salary to generate that wealth. And I think GRIP's vision is to change that problem, is to see how to make your money work harder than you work for generating wealth.
1: Was this like for active investors, which means that there are multiple decision-making steps in it? Or was it for passive investors, you invest and forget?
0: Actually, I would say a mix of both. In the traditional definition of active investors, it's like a trading, right? You're constantly managing it. I think the intention was to do in that definition of it was to make it for passive investors. Once again, coming back to that 30-year-old, right? He's got a busy life. He's probably had a kid on or he's married, about to have a kid. And he doesn't have the time to actively manage money, which is why in India, you have $2 trillion lying in fixed deposits. You don't have time to actively manage your money. So it has to be passive. At the same time, it has to be active in the sense that it has to provide choice to the investor. He or she should be able to decide where they want to put their money and be able to get great quality information seamlessly and make transactions at ease to conclude that investment. The one of the other mentalities or thought process that I'm that I see happening and I resonate with it is some discomfort or a belief that money managers are not really adding that to the returns. What, just describe these terms, alpha, delta, what are these? Sure, if you put your money on the sensex, your money will give you a certain return. A money manager should give you return more returns than the sensex gives you, right? You, let's just call that alpha for a minute. The delta between what extra intelligence can add to the way the market is going. And just today morning, there's a report that in the for the last 12 months, only less than 50% of managers delivered more returns than the sensex. So you've paid someone money, you've trusted this person, he's not even delivered as much returns as the Sensex has delivered. And at the same time, the commercial models for providing investments reward the manager, give them fees for selecting an investment, not necessarily for what returns they generate for you. So these are to, I would say somewhere weaknesses of the current wealth management space. And we wanted to be active in the sense that people could choose the investment they made and not necessarily be dependent on a money manager. And
1: there, there are so many ways to offer investment products. You have a lot of wealth management startups, there, which have launched in the last two years with a similar approach to make it easier for middle income salaried people to make their money work harder. So tell me what exactly you wanted to build.
0: Yeah, we wanted to actually be, let's say, the manufacturer or curator of investment options we understand that there are or and we knew that there will be many money there'll be many wealth platforms from a distribution perspective i just i'm using these names with no disrespect but just for the sake of example icici private wealth is a distributor of investment products iifl is a distributor of investment products and there will be many such distributors who will cater to investors requirements but the gap that we saw was that there was no product to distribute. You had the standard stock market fixed deposit products, but nothing beyond that. And hence, our focus as a business was to create the product in the first place, then distribute it through our platform or through other distribution channels. So we took a step back and said, let's create the product that is available to a larger segment of the Indian audience. Okay. And what product is that? We are focused on fixed income products, asset-backed fixed income products, which basically means that you get a visible stream of returns on a predefined monthly or quarterly basis. And in each case, your investment has an underlying asset to it that is a collateral or guarantee against that investment. We currently offer three such products to our investors. The first is leasing, which is leasing of movable assets like vehicles to companies. Imagine leasing a Maruti car to Uber. That's the equivalent of what we offer on the platform. The second is inventory finance, which is providing finance against existing inventories, raw materials or finished goods held by a company. And that becomes a short-term fixed income product. And the final one is pre-leased commercial real estate, where you are investing to own a part of a real estate project, which is leased to an MNC client. In all cases, fixed income, in all cases, monthly cash flows. In all cases, underlying asset. And in all cases, corporate credit. It's not a retail credit. It's not a consumer credit product. And with this sort of focus, we started, we made of available these three products. The intention is to keep adding more products which offer a similar flavor. Interesting. Basically, traditionally, this kind of, this is pure B2B financing.
1: There is one financial institution, say a bank or an NBFC, and then there are these corporates which need funds for either an asset or inventory or working capital or whatever. And the funding agreement is between them. So this B2B financing, you have in a way made it like a C2B financing, where a consumer
0: is financing a business. Great way of putting it. Let me ask you two questions. If you think of an NBFC giving finance to a company today in India, what do you think is the range of interest rate? 14 to 24, something like that. Let's take 14%. Let's start at the bottom of your right? 14%. And what is the fixed deposit rate that you earn as a retail investor when you give money to a bank?
1: 7%, I guess, not more than that. 7 would also be when there's a long tenure. Yeah. 7% would be like a three years or something like that, huh?
0: Yeah, seven percent is like everyone will be jumping and getting seven percent. So it's in the four to five percent zone, which means that there is a thousand basis points between four to fourteen percent delta between what money you put in the bank, which then ultimately goes to an NBFC, which ultimately gets loaned out. And what Grip is doing is saying, I'm giving you the option to make that full thousand basis points. You know, it's not as risk-free as bank FD is. There is an element to risk here, but you have a thousand basis points more to make against which you can measure the risk of what you're investing in. The same company that is taking money from NBFC is also coming and taking money or making itself available on GRIPS platform. Your choice. And could you think about allocating a portion of your portfolio to this thousand basis point additional opportunity? So it's a disintermediation of B2B financing exactly as you put it. But the upsides are very different. So traditionally, you put in money at 4-5% and then the bank
1: further lends it out and they earn something on it and some is their risk to cover risk. So risk plus profit, that is that additional 10% which the bank is getting and they give it out at 14%. So here you're just removing that middle layer of a bank or a financial institution and allowing that to happen directly for consumers who are comfortable with taking on that additional risk with the expectation of a higher return.
0: Absolutely. And technology is all about disintermediation. Amazon did it for the cost of books that you can purchase, right? It's become significantly cheaper. Make My Trip may have done it for the cost of travel that you can do. We're doing it for the cost of returns or the kind of returns that you can get by just disintermediating. And what is your take in this? So we take 3% of the investment value. So if you've invested a hundred rupees with us, we will make 3%. And to align ourselves to the investors, we don't take it up front. We actually take it over the period of the transaction. So you, we make money when you make money on the transaction. So if somebody is putting in 100 rupees,
1: then when that fixed income is paid out, every time from that fixed income, you take your cut. Is that how it happens?
0: That's correct. Okay. So what is the customer journey like? It's quite straightforward. So we have you log into gripinvest.in where you do a simple OTP-based registration and Once you're in, you can see the various investment options that I talked about. For each option, you get a description about the company, what's the underlying asset, what's the returns, what's the risk. And if you like what you can go ahead and move towards completing your KYC, document signing and payments. All of it is completely online, right? There's no single offline process. It's a payment via payment gateway account. KYC is eKYC and document signing is e-signing. So you can complete your entire journey within the GRIP domain and execute the transaction. We then have a portfolio page that allows you to track what your investments are, where you have received returns, what's the next step, and then. Every month, you get your money credited in your bank account. That's the journey. If someone just wants their investment to grow instead of getting income. Yeah, we off- we introduced a auto reinvest option, which allows people to set certain rules for reinvesting their monthly flows. And that allows them to compound their money. It's all about compounding, right? Especially when you're getting monthly income. So we built a very easy tool for people to reinvest at a click. Once again, giving them the choice to set the auto invest the principles for reinvestment. And that's something that we launched on our platform about a, about a quarterback. Why, why do
1: you use a payment gateway? Wouldn't you lose out that 1% or 2% payment gateway fees in that, which is
0: pretty substantial, right? We actually don't because thanks to our payment gateway partner, they have understood. Our business model, and we do not get charged the same commissions or the same spreads that get charged normally for e commerce transactions. Our commercials are significantly lower. How did you manage to do that? <laughs> That's a pretty big achievement. I think you sit down across a table with good people and people who want to do business, and they understand what you're trying to do, right? We obviously, there's a lot of money that gets invested on a daily basis, which is still profitable for the the payment gateway platform and the transaction sizes are much larger, right? They're not 20 rupee transactions. They are typically on a lakh rupee transaction. So it still makes money for the payment gateway, but it just fits the right business model. How do you curate and how do you control risk
1: for investors, the investment options? What is your process of onboarding investment options, curating them, doing some sort of risk assessment. Because end of the day, if something goes bad, you will lose customers, right? Like there'll be social media backlash and stuff like
0: that. Absolutely. Selection assessment is probably one of the biggest things that we do at Grip. And I would divide that into two parts. One is what we do in house and second is what we do via partnerships and maybe a third element is how we are building certain credit mitigation structures at our end to further protect the investor so it's not a marketplace where you can just list whatever you want every deal is vetted by our internal team and based on certain minimum criteria that we have as well as a detailed diligence on the financials of the company typically what any creditor would look at like last three year financials gst payments on time litigation track record cash availability profitability Quality of promoters, availability of existing investors, quality of underlying assets, right? Everything is done at our end. Typically, for 100 companies that come through our system, only 20 get listed on the platform. So 80% get rejected. So that's part one. Part two is that some of the assets that we are adding are actually in partnership with companies who are 100% focused on identifying those assets. Like, for example, real estate. We do not source the real estate opportunity ourselves. We work with the company whose only focus is investing in real estate, which means that they are 24 by seven looking at real estate opportunities. They understand how to underwrite those opportunities. They do the work. They offer majority of it to their investors. And we take only part of a small portion of it, which means that our investors benefit from a double research done on the same opportunity. So that's part two. This would be like a startup or like a PE fund? I mean, there are these startups like I think Myre Capital. And- so currently it is other startups. For example, in the real estate product, we work with a company called Stata Capital, which is one of the largest offers of, of such products in, the, in India. And the third thing is how we think about other credit mitigants. All our transactions have a security deposit. 10% security deposit. We take ADCs, eNash, escrow agreement, charge on revenue against the company. And what we have recently started doing is to also work to give a FLDG. It's a think of it as a insurance option, a credit default insurance option, right? And we have started buying FLDGs against our portfolio that mitigate against the 10, first 10% of loss. So there are various things that we are doing that we're hoping will protect the investor. In any credit business, and I always say this, it is naive to believe that there will not be a default. It's completely naive. It will happen. What you must do is to do everything possible, as many buffers possible, to make sure that you can protect the capital of investors. Typically, in our transactions, you get 50-60% of your capital back in the first 12 months. And along with the other mitigants we have, we believe that in case some default happens over 18 months, we're in a fairly good position to recover capital for investors.
1: So this uh, FLDG, your first loss default guarantee,
0: this is, uh, you're working with an insurer for this uh, or uh, how are you providing this? We're working with two different parties. One is an insurer and the other is a financial institution. And uh, I think it's still at a, we've executed a pilot for now. If this works well, we will definitely look to scale it up both whether from a, whether which party it is and how it is structured, we we'll need to figure out. So tell me about
1: your go-to market. And obviously you have two different go-to markets. One is the investor side and the other is the supply side or the company. That want funds. Tell me about each of these, and
0: when did you start the go-to market? Like when did you launch? Sure. So we launched in June twenty twenty, which is about almost two years back. And I think at that point of time, our bigger struggle was to find investors to try and invest money in these options. It was easier to create investable opportunities because you need only a few opportunities, and you were educating a market to say this product exists. Our go-to market for customers has since always been about a it's important to diversify B. higher returns than what you're available on other fixed income opportunities three you have the ability to start small four passive income non-volatile against a market volatility is a great way to is great in addition to have in your portfolio and so these are the four premises or go-to market that we have on the user side on the company side our premise basically is to be able to offer them a non-equity dilutive instrument which allows them to pay us or to return money as they make revenue. It also offers a non, it allows them to remain asset light as a company and scale faster. So these are the, these are the GTMs on the company side over the last two years, the GTM on the company side has become more important for us to do because we have been able to build a fairly large base of investors who are now, educated, have tried it out, have told their friends. And hence, there is a little bit of momentum built up on the user side. But
1: yeah, how did you get those early users? Was it
0: like performance marketing or what was it like? It was actually largely word of mouth that happened for the first 100 users. I think what is what we got very lucky with is timing. And I think timing is a very important factor in the success of any startup. When, if you look back at June 2020, it was the month that the lockdown was lifted, but people were still working from home stock markets had almost completely bottomed out at 30,000, census was at 30,000. At the same time, fixed deposit rates had also come down significantly. So here was a user sitting at home, actually having more savings than before, not sure where the stock market was going and not finding it exciting to invest in FDs. And for those users, we became a very interesting investment option. They also had the benefit of more time to do more research, find out new things. And I just, I think we got incredibly lucky with that cycle in the market, which allowed people to start investing on our platform and built through word of mouth. I think the biggest change that is happening in investment today, the retail investor is getting much more powerful as an investment class and is constantly looking to direct invest whether across asset class, I'm not talking about grip. I think it's a huge transformation that's happening across the world and will change the course of wealth management.
1: Angel investing, that whole trend that is again, retail
0: investor directly investing into startups. It is shocking the amount of wealth that is held in Indian hands. And I say this in a good way, but I think it is, it takes you by surprise and which means that there is this latent potential of capital that is looking for investment options. It has just not been provided and not been provided in the right way. And it's a huge opportunity for anyone building building a wealth management platform today in India. And did you need some regulatory clearances to launch this? Is this covered by any such clearances? Yes and no. So I would say that we're in an area where the way the products are designed don't come under the SEBI framework today. Okay, Because effectively, we are asking people to purchase physical assets. right? And hence, in that sense, they stay outside the purview of what happens. And I, I'm not really happy about that. I think for any product to be truly scalable, it needs to lie in the regulatory framework. Hopefully, you and I will speak in a couple of months down the line, and we would have executed a new instrument to execute our product, which is within the SEBI framework. It's a securitization structure, like a pass-through certificate that we are doing for our leasing transactions. And that will be a rated, listed, and SEBI regulated product for and for the first time will be done for the first time in the Indian markets. So we're very excited about it, but it would be a game changer for us. Let's say that you enter into a lease transaction. Let's say I, we enter into 10 lease transactions. Currently, it's a purchase. Uh, like you are connecting, uh,
1: let's say, 10 people who will collectively buy an ambulance for StanPlus, for example. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, a combined purchase, which is happening. So it's not really like a investment product in that traditional sense. Uh, and StanPlus agrees to pay back an EMI on that ambulance for 18 months or 24 months or something
0: like that. Absolutely. So now what we're doing is that a company, a single entity will sign a lease agreement with Stand Plus, right? It will also sign it with three, four other companies for different assets. And this creates a stream of receivables, monthly income. That stream will be securitized or converted into a financial instrument via a SEPI mandated or SEBI regulated process and issue to investors as a financial paper that they can fold in dematerialized form. This entire structure is called a pass-through certificate or a PTC certificate. And it basically securitizes all those cash flows from the lease income into the hands of the investor. And this is a structure. So this becomes like a debenture or a bond in a way. Like a bond, right? All of these simpler, they're all in a way PTCs. And like a debt instrument, basically. Like a debt instrument. And that's what we are doing for lease transactions. It would be the first ever done in India. Is there a difference between lease and EMI? Yes.
1: When you're leasing a vehicle versus when you're like financing it's it
0: and getting EMIs back. What is the difference? The difference actually lies in how you treat on the P L and balance sheet. And I'll try to make it not complicated. Lease is treated as an expense item and hence lies on your PL statement above your EBITDA line. So lease is like a subscription cost basically subscription cost or it is like rent right EMI actually consists of two parts interest and principal the interest part lies on your pnl but the principal lies in your balance sheet and hence this treats changes the treatment in the hands of the lender and the borrower but you are leasing
1: an ambulance to StanPlus, which means that StanPlus will pay the subscription in perpetuity or will it reach a stage where it will then own the asset? L- like in an EMI, there is an ending date, right? What happens here?
0: There is an ending date. You sign lease agreements for specific periods of time. And then after that point of time, there are various options of what can happen. Either StanPlus can ask to purchase the asset. Either it can be sold to someone else or stand plus could also ask to extend the lease of the same asset to say i'm going to op- i'd like to extend it for another two years so there are various options available at the end of the lease and that also obviously is an upside to the transaction by the time the lease ends you
1: would have already gotten the return the desired rate of return on it and what is the role of technology in this one would be of course like a way for investors to do their KYC login, see like a marketplace, that would be one, one of your technology products, right? Like a web application where people can see the listings and like an e-commerce kind of an application where they can check out
0: and pay and all of that. What else is there? Sure. I think this the current application in my view is actually the simpler part of it and not the exciting technology stuff that we are building now, but break it up into, into two parts. One is about investor experience. See, making an investment for the f- making an investment once is like making an e-commerce transaction. But once you buy a packet of chips, you eat it, you're done with it. But an investment is something that you live with for a fairly long period of time. So the platform must also offer you a great experience in terms of how you manage and exit the investment. What if you're in the need of money and need to liquidate your investment? How can the platform enable that for you? What if you require a loan for a short term against your investment? How can the platform enable it for you? Can you create certain product variants? Can you create a SIP variant? Can you create a mutual fund variant? Now, these are all things that are in the realm of reality for stocks because there is a framework for it. But in the case of alternative fixed income assets, it does not exist. And one of the key things that we are doing from a technology perspective is to build product features that enable this experience for you. We have a simple motto in the product team, which is to make alternative investing as easy as buying a stock. And our focus is to do that. The second part is, I would say, from a wealth management experience, how do you make the user journey and the discoverability easier? How do you customize experience and personalize experience for people so that it is easier for them to receive information and make a decision? And there's a little bit of an, I would say, AI, ML, aspect to that in terms of understanding what a user wants and then giving it to them. Amazon recently did an incredibly exciting experiment where they built AI and ML for retailers to help them help people discover what they really want to buy in a store. And I'm very fortunate that a friend of mine was the product manager on that and I recently saw him post about it. But imagine going to Netflix today, you're incredibly confused about what to watch. Right? How do you bring technology to play a role into making that decision making easier for people? So that's the second part. And finally, third part is using technology to make smarter decisions about the companies we are leasing to or working with. How do you access that data? How do you monitor their performance? How do you look out for social signs, employee engagement signs that can help you determine how a company is doing? So those are three areas that we are working on from. Point. coming to the first the, the
1: product uh, extensions so a mutual fund would then be like a basket like say mobility could be a theme in which you would have ambulances for stand plus and let's say cars for some uh, electric vehicle mobility startup and so, so like you would have a basket of uh,
0: such options for an investor that's what we would mean by a mutual fund right and also basket of products so leasing plus inventory financing plus real estate can i com- can we combine that into a basket and give you a flavor of all three at the same time and for the expert due diligence of companies you are investing in so
1: what all do you do there do you there is that account aggregator framework which has come in right which allows you to like real-time read the bank account of people you are lending to are you making use of stuff like that and
0: yeah we're making use of a lot of tools like that which are available already in the market and give you access to information i think that's incredibly helpful we're trying to see if we can look for maybe one or two additional tools and actually in my opinion a lot of companies have talked about this i think it's great talk but may, maybe not very easy to implement or the end result is not useful so i i don't know whether journey will lead us but when i look at companies is as simple as glass door reviews what's the attrition rate in the company uh, you know things like this can be so- softer signals of what's happening in an organization and just try to marry the financial data with some of this to marginally increase the quality of decision-making you're doing. Coming back to that go-to-market, so one is you are
1: doing like a direct customer sign-up where you're using social media and there is a word of mouth referral which is happening for you. Are you also looking at some kind of partnerships, collaborations like say being present inside a bank's app, say on the ICICI app, I have Grip Invest as an option and those could be big unlocks in terms of increasing your investor base.
0: Absolutely. And we're already working with several partners who are distributing our product, if you can say that, and making it available to their customers. And I think that this is very important, especially early in our journey, because anything new requires a little bit more education and handholding. And to the extent that there are people who are already working in that space that can do that for us, I think it is great for our business as a core part of our strategy. And we're looking to Expand on that those kind of partnerships. So these are like offline distribution partners or like apps where you are and- predominantly apps, some offline distribution. So there's a company called cube Wealth in India, another called Deserve T, E Z E R V, which are digital wealth management platforms, right? Again, complete overlap of our user-based persona. They are managing their money and we are making Crip available as an investment option on these platforms. There are also offline partners, but I see a lot of more scalability coming from digital partners. Would you also look at the way mutual funds distribute where they
1: have a distributor who gets a commission on selling it like the offline channel? Is that
0: in the pipeline for you? No, I'm a little, or to be honest, I'm a little nervous about it. You see, power. the benefit of digital distribution is that you can completely control the information that is distributed. Okay. And I think in a new product category, ensuring no miss selling because of wrong information is very important. Okay. And hence I think it's important for us to remain as far as possible. Digital. Also, you know, I go back to when we decide GTM, go back to what's the number of people we want to target. What is the persona of people who will be the adopters for the next two or three years. And the answer to all of that is they're all online and they all prefer to transact online. And hence it does not make sense for us to build that 50 years later. When alternatives are no longer alternatives and become mainstream, sure, I think that that there's a case to be made. Okay, okay. So currently with these apps who are distributing, you would share that
1: 3%, some part of it you would share with them for the customer acquisition commission in a way. That's correct. Tell me what kind of numbers have you been seeing? What is like the what are the numbers you track? Like assets under management. Say, mutual fund has that AUM number which they track. What is it for you?
0: We, so we track investments, new investments made in a month, and total investments made over a lifetime. We also which would be AUM, that total investment would be gross AUM, not net AUM, because we're also constantly returning money to investors. We also track repeat rate of investor okay because see we know that it's people will come and make a first investment but it's truly when you make the second investment that you like what we are offering because referral is very important to us we also track referral rate how many of our users are referred someone else on the platform so these are the some of the key metrics that we and we track average investment per user average time the investor is invested in our platform can you share some like what is your gross and what is the monthly edition we're very proud to be a fairly transparent as an organization and all the numbers i'm sharing with you are actually available on our website as well and we they're updated on a real-time basis so our gross AUM is about 250 crores our current monthly new investment is 30 crores so 30 crores of new investments happening every month and Average investor has three investments on grip. 40% people make their second investment within 30 days, and 36% of our users have referred someone else. How do you track reference? Is there a reward for referring? Like you refer a friend and you. There's a reward for referring. There's a reward for referring. So that's how we track it. What is that reward? It's 2000 rupees. On the first investment. That they make. Like you're the person you bring in. He makes a first investment
1: and then it's 2,000 rupees. Amazing. I'm guessing like the uh, scheme would have been a big customer acquisition channel for you. Like what's the split in your customer acquisition? How much comes from referral? How much from
0: performance marketing? How much from like organic and 45% comes through referral, another 25 30% comes from organic. So 75% comes in organic and referral, and 25% comes through performance marketing and digital wealth platforms or other wealth partners that we have. What's the size that you see Grip Invest getting in the next couple of years? Do you have a target in mind? Our target for March 24 is to hit half a billion dollars in total investments enabled. So we're currently at about 40 million dollars. Our aim is to get to 500 million dollars. In total investments enabled in the next two years okay
1: okay like a 8x in two years wow amazing okay
0: and you're seeing that
1: the monthly aum number is like uh, growing fast to really hit that 8x kind of a
0: yeah and also if you see that there have been platforms obviously there are platforms older than us in other markets what tends to happen is in fixed income products you keep getting money back to the investor right and the next check is always larger So you start your investment with 100 rupees, you get money back, your next investment is going to be 130 rupees, right? So your ability to get higher wallet share of the user keeps increasing, which makes this business more profitable because you are able to scale your business on existing investors. And if you have a user who's invested twice or thrice with you, he's highly likely to tell someone else about it. And because that experience of telling someone is so personal, plus educational right there's a conversation that happens about it the person is also very highly likely to invest and hence that becomes a great growth engine and a lot of platforms not just us, it's not special to us when they hit a certain point they see a very natural growth happening on the investment side because of this behavior so what is your uh, average ticket size right now like an investor how much does he invests on average? or an average, within 12 months, an investor puts 5 lakh on the platform.
1: So you really have an SECA
0: kind of an audience on the platform. And that's how the journey will always begin, right? Every financial product from stock markets to insurance began with SECA. It's the way to happen. And there will be a trickle-down effect. It's the same thing that's happening in our space as well. And I think that's just the way to go. Would you need to do stuff like, say,
1: celebrity endorsement and TV ads and all to really hit that half a billion
0: dollars number to really be more like Masi? That's a good question. I don't know whether the answer is whether we need a celebrity endorsement. Do we need to get ourselves out in front of a larger number of people? Sure. There are obviously new and more innovative ways to do that, depending on who the persona of the user is. There is the Elon Musk and Steve Jobs style, which is where you make the CEO of the company iconic, right? And you want to just be part of their stories and you have a celebrity-led something or you just have a product-led thing. I think we are still in a phase where we are experimenting with what works as the best way of educating investors about the product? Are, are you on Cred yet?
1: L- like, Cred is also like a platform,
0: right? Where a lot of products get distributed. Uh, no, we're not on Cred yet. But that would be on the own map. Definitely. I think we would love to be on Cred at the right point. I think that they have recently started their journey on investment products with the P2P offering. As they expand, I hope that we're able to have a conversation with them and introduce Grip on Cred. This is your second startup now.
1: So what did you do differently this time around?
0: I would like to say that I didn't make the same mistakes again. I think that's the only thing. Made some new mistakes. The solo founder now. No, I have two co-founders. One, learning has definitely been the need for co-founders. I think it's very hard to be a solo founder. So I I would highly recommend that people have co-founders. There are a couple of things I think we have done differently, just coming out of learnings, right? And no wrongs. Number one, we focused very heavily on defining certain common attributes about the company, like culture, vision, mission, style of working on day one of the company. And in a work from home environment, those things have really, been what have kept us together. We didn't have anything else to keep a team which was hired off online to keep together. And I think this has been a big differentiator for us. Number two, we have made very senior hires very early in our life as a company. Most people do it later and the reasons are money, et cetera, et cetera. But we believe that if we hired senior professionals today, we can grow faster and also grow in a more sustainable manner because we put the right frameworks into place. And I think that has worked very well for us. We probably have a a team that most people would have maybe three or four years in that journey. We have tried to do that earlier, including a head of HR, head of finance brought into the company. I think that's number two. Number three is much more focus. Focus. See, we're on a, we're constantly on a treadmill as a loss making company as all startups typically know. And which means that you want have so much time to prove a business model till you require a cash infusion, till you require to achieve certain scale and numbers. The treadmill is not stopping, right? You still have the same fixed costs in your business. Did you uh, raise funds? Uh, like, what has been the way to fund it so far? Yeah, we've raised funds. We've raised two rounds of capital, totally about thirty-three crore rupees of capital, equity capital for the business. Fortunate to get backed by some of the same investors that backed me in Jullo, and it's great to have them. Uh, Believe I can, maybe I can take another shot at it. But yeah, we've had some great investors who've added a lot of strategic value to our business and helped us grow. Is this a business which would need a lot of funding? Because
1: you're growing pretty organically. You you would not really need like large
0: funding rounds, right? And 3% is a pretty healthy number as what you're running. I think there are two questions that will decide that answer. Number one is, what is the cost of acquisition of the user given it's a new category? And financial investments generally is a fairly competitive field to exist in. And I think that is one one key question to be answered. Number two is how fast do you want to grow and what do you want your business model to be? If you want to be a single asset focused company, which is growing at an organic pace, you can become profitable very quickly. But if your objective is to be a curated platform for alternative investments, offering great product experience there's going to be a lot more investment that you do in tech and product that you would require to do and that brings us to the end of this
1: conversation i want to ask you for a favor now Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.